Welcome to the Probate Realtor Show, your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate. Hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court. Being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task, and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan. Let us help you make the right decision for your clients, your family, and your legacy. And now, here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matthias Baker Mazzucci. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of our show. Today, we are talking to James Long of Atlantis Law. James Long is a estate planning attorney, also practices trust administration, litigation, and bankruptcies. James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Matthias. It's great to be here. Thank you. And you know what? I just I'm gonna ask you the first question. It's like, why Atlantis Law? This is what I wasn't planning on asking you that, but your website is atlantislaw.com. And and uh, uh, would you mind sharing with us why is it called Atlantis Law? Sure. I unfortunately I probably don't have a, a good answer for you. Uh-huh. I bought the law firm from another lawyer who oh, had okay. named Atlantis Law. So, you know, in my own mind, I like to think that he named it Atlantis maybe because it's bankruptcy and estate planning. So if you don't want your estate to get lost, like the lost city called us or something like that. But I, I never really asked him why he named it Atlantis Law, but he had been doing business for like 30 years under Atlantis Law. I bought it and I kept it. So there you Beautiful. go. Beautiful. That's that's, <laughs> that, that's a good story. All right, let's dive right into, let's delve right into our topic, which is uh, estate planning. James, why is estate planning important? Yeah, I mean, you know, estate planning's probably the number one uh, most important area of law, because it's an area of law that's going to touch everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's going to get sued. Not everybody's going to have a car accident. Not everybody's going to be arrested or something like that. But everybody's going to die right. at some point. And everybody, when they die, is going to have something. And unless you do some kind of estate planning, the government gets to decide where it goes. So, you know, it's important because it's an area that touches everybody's life. And unless you engage in it or engage with it, the government gets to decide what happens. And to my mind, I think that's, you know, maybe not always the best circumstance. So it, it's super important for people because oftentimes it's it's the most neglected area because people think they live forever. Um, but it's an area that it touches everybody. Absolutely true. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, let me ask you, what in your practice or when you talk to people, you know, as an attorney and as an educator, as you share your your knowledge, what are some of the uh, misconceptions that you've come against um, when you talk to somebody uh, about estate planning? Yeah. So number one misconception would probably be that you've got to be rich to do it, right? You've got to be millionaire. You've got to have all this these, these assets. And that's just not true. The second thing I think probably is that I'm too young. Right. I don't need to think about that until I'm old, until I'm about to die or until I retire or something like that. So it's sort of excuses you make to kick the can down the road. And in reality, you know, if you've got young kids, you better do it because you better name guardians. And if you if you're about to retire, you better do it because that retirement's going to go somewhere. So, um, you know, the first myth, again, I'm not rich enough. Second myth, I'm not old enough. Right. Yeah. So 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 I guess. You know, if as a follow-up question to what you said, um, there isn't really um, a perfect age to get started, other than the fact, like you said, I mean, if you have kids, that's the reason to do it. I, I remember, this is a funny thing. I was crossing the street with a friend, 
and they were like, oh, wow, that car kind of came pretty close. I hope you have life insurance. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, I have four kids. You're right. I need to, this is years ago. And I yeah. was like, and I ended up getting life insurance just because, you know, that was, you know, one of, one of the things. So estate planning kind of is just as important, of course. So my question to you, I guess, in relationship to, to, you know, these misconceptions is when somebody wants to get started, what are some of the barriers that, or some of the things that people have to say, okay, this is what I got to do. James, let's do my estate plan. Okay, what do I do now? What, what, what am I supposed to tell you? Just everything I own? Am I supposed to like, how's your onboarding process, I guess? Yeah, you know, we try to make it as easy as possible for people because a lot of people get, I guess, overwhelmed by, I've got to have an inventory of this and I got to know right. every bill I pay. I got to know everything I have and every account number and this and that. And, you know, to start the process, we, we try to just kind of keep it simple. You know, what generally do you have, right? Meaning, do you have a house? Do you have life insurance? Do you have accounts? Generally, what you've got. About how much all is it all worth, okay? And usually I ask that client, uh, that, that issue of clients, I just, is your estate over or under $5 million? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the magic number because, well, at least right now, the exemption is $12 million. Uh, that right. means that's the limit for where you start having to pay estate taxes. Right. That goes down to like five and a half million in 2025. Right. Um, so I just say, is your estate over or under 5 million? And then that, you know, that's a yes or no question. So it right. takes some of the the the, the workout uh, or the stress off, off of folks. You don't have to come up with an exact dollar to cent number. We just need mm -hmm. to know, is it over or under? And right. generally what you got. And then the final component is, where would you like all that to go? Like who, right. wh what's going to happen? And so if we frame it in those big kind of chunky components, it's uh, less intimidating for clients and it creates less of a barrier because it's easier to think about, okay, well, I have a house, I have this, I'd like that to go to my kids, it's under 5 million. And now we can start getting into details about, okay, well, here's the type of trust you need. Here's how we can make what you have or what you want a reality. You know, That makes sense. Now you brought up taxation, which obviously you know death and taxes go hand in hand. So, yep. so I appreciate that. And and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about uh, new laws, you know, like you mentioned that you know it's twelve and a half now, it's going to go to five and and change in the future. What are the things whenever these new law happen, for instance? So let's say you did somebody's estate plan whose estate is over five million mm -hmm. when the exemption was twelve and a half now. In 2025, the the law is, is is different time. Things are changing. Are you reaching out to these people proactively and saying, "Look, we got to do something. We don't have an exemption like we thought before. You better figure something out unless you want to pay." Because I think this the state tax is quite steep. Oh yeah, it's it's about fifty cents on the dollar. So it, it's yeah. you know, it, I mean, generally, right? Uh, but here's what we do. Maybe one thing that makes my firm a little bit different. Mm -hmm. is that uh, not just the clients who have high net worths, but we reach out every three years to all of our clients. And I, it's sort of a simple letter saying, hey, it's been about three years since your plan. You know, have you moved? Do you still like your kids, right? <laughs> is there anything <laughs> yeah. we have to, do we still have to, do we have to disinherit anyone? Is your estate over or under? Here's the current exemption, right? Have you increased right. in value or decreased in value? Do you still like your trustees? Is anyone addicted to drugs? Has anyone mm -hmm. developed special needs? These sort of triggers where, you know, if they answer yes to these questions, maybe we should amend. Um, in particular for the uh, 2025 issue, you know, we're going to be sending letters to everybody, not mm -hmm. just the people in that three-year window, but saying, hey, this is going down. 
if your estate is over that or you anticipate it to be over that at the time you pass, there's some things we could do to protect you now. So let's have a meeting. Let's have a conversation sure. about it. Um, so, you know, we're pretty proactive at my firm in the sense that we, just as a matter of practice, always stay in touch with our clients um, because I, as a moral proposition, I want to know if I did have done a plan for someone that mm -hmm. it's going to work. And I know like when they leave my office, I know it'll work. I don't know what's going to happen when they leave. And so mm -hmm. in order to know for sure, I, I've got to keep up with them and make sure that they haven't refinanced and accidentally taken a house out of trust or something like that. Um, or they sense. haven't won the Powerball jackpot, right? <laughs> like, and you forgot yeah. to tell me that kind of thing. So we reach out to our clients, particularly in 2025, the ones we know for sure will have a problem and that we kind of sense. let them know what's going to happen. Yes. Let me ask you a question about, you know, we talked about taxation. We thought about how things changes. And you said, if you reach out to somebody, you will tell them, hey, if your estate is going to be worth more than X, there are some things I can do to help. Let's talk about those things. What are those things for high net worth individuals yeah. that they should be preparing to do uh, in order to, you know, safeguard some of their assets? Right. So, okay. So the, the exemption that we're talking about is, is sort of a lifetime exemption. Mm -hmm. And I like to frame it like everybody has right now about $12 million you could give away during your life to anybody you want. And when you give that to that person, it's tax-free. Right. And as you give those gifts away, it reduces that lifetime amount. Now, mm -hmm. most of the time, you know, you you keep on you keep a hold of your estate and you gift everything after death. But you can make a gift during life mm -hmm. and still use that up. So, you know, there are certain there's a bunch of different types of irrevocable trusts, intentionally defective grantors trusts, mm -hmm. life insurance trusts, family limited partnerships, all sorts of mechanisms where you could potentially gift a portion of your estate now while you're alive mm -hmm. to an entity or another trust that you might have a little bit of control over or could benefit from, use up the exemption you're going to lose. You know, for example, if you have a $12 million estate, you know, you could gift $6 million to a separate entity, get use up that exemption, get that part out of your estate, retain some control, and then, you know, plan for the rest of your estate with the remaining balance right. um, and, and kind of go there. So, it, everything's different. It depends on the circumstances, but you know things like family limited partnerships, intentionally defective grantors trusts. That uh, one I've never. I've heard about charitable remainder trusts. I've heard yep. about a lot of trust, but what is uh, intentionally defective grantor trust? Is that yeah. what you said? Yeah. So sometimes it'll be called like an IGIT trust. That's the okay. IDGT. Uh, that, that's a type of an irrevocable trust that you can use usually in conjunction with maybe like a family limited partnership or something like that where you retain a little bit of control, maybe to pay the taxes, maybe to, so basically what that means is for, for taxation purposes, it's a grantor's trust, right? Mm -hmm. So, but it's an irrevocable trust, but it's defective in the sense that you've retained a little bit of power, making it a grantor's trust. So you still have some, some power, but it's irrevocable for the purposes of transfer. So that the, the gift is, is, is treated as a gift that day, but you still retain some of the control over the asset, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes total sense. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about communication. You mentioned, you know, when you reach out to people, you're like, you still like your successor trustee, <laughs> and you still like all of your kids and all of those things. So how do you um, help your clients communicate, you know, with their family to understand what they're doing? That's, I think that's a tough one. Um, mm -hmm. Because everybody has their own, every client, I mean, has their own particular sense of privacy, okay? Right. 
So some clients are just naturally more private than others. And that's okay. I say in every, when I do a signing with clients, I say in almost every signing, you know, as inclusive as you feel comfortable, that's how inclusive you should be, right? Um, I do a lot of trust litigation as well. And, and sometimes a lot of the breakdown, you know, fighting and lawsuits get filed, not because something actually went wrong, Mm-hmm. But because there was a breakdown in communication because one kid thought I was supposed to get this and I didn't know I was disinherited or I didn't know this. Right. If the family's just up front and says, hey, this is what's going to happen. Sometimes that limits those kinds of fights later on. Um, and it can be an uncomfortable conversation for clients because they don't want to say like, hey, you know, you're getting disinherited or you're not getting the car you wanted or whatever it might be. And so I just encourage clients, you know, be as open and inclusive as you can. Um, certainly make sure your trustees are willing to be your trustees. You don't, you know, if, if you, right. at the bare minimum, you need to let them know that they're named, right? Right. At a bare minimum, someone needs to know where your stuff is, right? Because I get, I get calls maybe three or four times a year. Hey, uh, my parents had a trust. No one knows where it's at. No wow. one knows. Yeah. We know they have a trust, but they were super secretive. And that doesn't help anyone. Um, so mm-hmm. at a bare minimum, someone needs to know where it's at. Someone needs to, uh, the trustees need to know that they're in charge. And then, you know, to kind of help that a little bit, we retain copies of all of our clients' documents in our system. And so when when you record a deed, I'm sure you know as a like a real estate guru, um, you retain, you recorded a deed to a house and it'll say recording requested by when, you know, recorded mail property tax statement. So when we record a deed for a client, it'll say recording requested by Atlantis Law Firm. It'll have our address and our phone number. So at a bare minimum, Someone will know it's in a trust. Someone will know that our firm requested that. Hopefully they'll reach out. And if they can't find anything, you know, our numbers are going to stay the same. Our address might change, but our phone number will stay stay the same. They can call and we can say, well, you're in luck. We have a copy and we can get it to you. Um, If that type of stuff happens, you know, but, you know, for, for if anyone's listening out there and wondering, should I tell my kids that we have a trust? Tell your kids, be as open as you can, as you feel comfortable. You know, your estate plan is not going to be invalid if you're not telling people about it, but it really helps if you do. That makes total sense. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned disinheritance. I talked to a lot of attorneys and there are different philosophy out there for disinheritance. You know, leave them something and leave them enough so they don't contest, but don't leave them too much so they have money to litigate or, you know, these the no contest clause, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just curious, what's your philosophy on, on disinheritance, when it's, especially when it comes to children? Yeah. Every trust that I draft has a no contest clause, which basically says if you contest the trust without due cause, right? That's what the law says. Without due cause, uh, without some sort of reason for contesting, then you're kicked out. Well, if they're not getting anything, that clause really doesn't mean anything. If they're getting zero, they have no reason not to challenge the trust. So, you know, as a litigator, someone, a client comes into me and they say, should I challenge the trust? If they're not getting anything, they have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. But as an attorney, if someone comes to me and they say, should I challenge the trust? Here's why I think we should do it. And I see they're getting $10,000. I've got to tell them, listen, yeah, we could challenge it, but you, you'll you probably lose that 10000 And I think you shouldn't. I think you should right. take the take the 10 and go. By the same token, you shouldn't leave enough to litigate, right? Don't give them enough money where now you've, you've just paid for the lawsuit. <laughs> give them enough where they feel like it'll hurt if they lose it. So, you know, I've, I've seen trusts where it's like, he gets a dollar and nothing else. Well, that's about giving him nothing. That means nothing. Right. Um, And again, every client's different because I got some clients who are like, if I have to give that child of mine any more than a dollar, I'm going to throw up in my mouth. Okay. Well, here's the risk. 
you know, don't throw up in your mouth, do what you want to do and I'll do it. I just got to tell you what you're risking. And I try to kind of get them to a point where they could make the no contest clause worth something, you know? That makes sense. Thank you for sharing that. I like your philosophy on this. Um, let's talk about some challenging cases now that you've encountered, whether whether uh, whether it be as a litigator or in the administration or or a state planning process. Uh, can you share some of those stories with me? Yeah. So um, there's there's one case that's just real, real not nasty. It's just complicated. What underscores why you should do estate planning um, that we that we've got going on right now. Clients' great grandparents owned this property. Okay. They, they were married and they died. And then grandpa, great grandpa remarried and then he died and nothing was ever done. But then grandpa quit claims everything to the, the next client to quit claims, everything to the client. And now the client's trying to sell okay. and escrow comes back. Title comes back and says, they don't hold title. They have this quick claim deed, but this guy never had title because no affidavit was done up here in the first marriage. And so we've got to go back like oh, three yeah. generations and unwind this entire mess. We've got to do intestate succession there. And then we got to show that he had full interest and that she disclaimed this. And complicating matters, the, the second wife of the great grandpa executed some sort of document saying, I give everything to grandpa and recorded it on the property. But we, like, what value is that? I mean, we can say, okay, the house. So we've got to try to probate that. Is that a will? What do we got to do? It's just a mess. And it's been a long time. They've lost several buyers. And, you know, the, 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 the upshot is if they just took some time to talk to an estate planning lawyer, they could have caught this and yes. they could have, you know, found while, while people were still alive and could have done it. Yes. We could have, they could have finished, they could have fixed it. But now, you know, it's, it's so far, it's been almost a $17,000 problem for the client. Cause we've got to litigate and do all these cases yeah. to, to unwind it. And it's just been a problem. Well, I'm going to add something to that. I'm also going to blame the realtor, whoever, if they lost buyers, I'm going to blame the realtor, whoever they are, because you got to order a prelim with these cases all the time. I tell this to everybody, order a preliminary yeah. title report prior to listing the property. Make sure you have insurability of title because the title company will tell you, are you missing a death certificate? Are you missing this? They will tell you what they need to do a clean transfer of yeah. title. So if you do it prior to listing your property on the market, then boom, you got you got clear. You call James, he, he clears it out for you. Then you go on the market and you have you, you only have one chance to do a first impression. Now, when, a, when people get a feeling that the property's got something wrong with it, whether it's title, whatever, yep. people smell the blood. And they will say, oh, man, you got to, this title is going to take months to clear. I'm going to give you $100,000 less, $200,000 less. Yeah. So it's very, very important to make sure, first of all, and I see these all the time. First of all, make sure that the right person is signing the listing agreement. <laughs> Don't just yeah. assume because they tell you they own the house that they can't or the property, whatever the commercial asset it, it may be. So thank you for sharing that story because yeah. it gave me a chance to pontificate about yeah. well, I mean, one of my pet so peeves. Yeah. And that's so important. Um, you know, it's like in my office, if some come and says, someone says, I own the house, you know, I, I do a title check. I, I right. check the title to see, do you actually own it or did something happen? And only yeah. one time, only one time did I check the title and it was like, you don't own your house. Some of this other person owns your house. And it was her daughter. <laughs> oh, and wow. and what happened was she had remarried, but before remarriage, the daughter forged a deed. Oh, wow. Because so, she was worried that the husband would get it. And so like we found the daughter had like stolen the house from her and we had to unwind that and like get control. But 
but yeah, sometimes they think they own it and they, they own part of it, but not the whole thing. Cause someone helped them get the loan and was on title, but they didn't know. And it's just, yeah, you, you got to check it. You know, James, I had somebody, I, one of my guests, uh, uh, said on the show, they asked the question, do you know what the easiest thing to steal from someone is? And the answer was their house. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it was talking about forge, forge, forge grant deeds and, and quick forge oh, yeah. quick claims and all those things that, that, that go with it. Uh, Thank you, thank you for yeah. for 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 sharing that that story with us. Um, now let's talk about your journey. You know, I think uh, one of the things that my audience, I think, love is to learn about, uh, you know, where the people come from, how you how they made it to where they are today. So, did you want to be an attorney when you were a little kid? You know, I did. My mom was a legal secretary, so okay. she was always around attorneys and things like that. And I loved their offices. Mm -hmm. I loved all the paperwork. I loved all that stuff. Now I hate paperwork. <laughs> I still like my office. I have a great office, but you know. I hate paperwork, um, but I, I wanted that. Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. My mom didn't want me to be a lawyer because she worked for them. So she mm. knew how scummy lawyers could be sometimes. <laughs> so I, when I told her I was going to law school, she, she about wept, but you're oh. too nice. You can't be a lawyer. No, no. She didn't, she didn't want it for me. She was very upset. But, uh, but then you decided to go to law school and what, yeah. what had you gravitate toward the kind of law that you practice now? Yeah, well, uh, so my, my journey is a, maybe not unique, but everybody's has a unique journey. So I, at one point I was going to be a Catholic priest. Okay. Oh. So I was in seminary for four years, um, was, was going to be a priest, decided that probably celibacy was not my jam. Okay. Um, and then met a girl and met a girl at church and confirmed, no, that's celibacy isn't for me. <laughs> that's not what I'm going to do. Um, but so I ended up going to, um, law school because I as part of the seminary process you take philosophy so uh -huh. I had this degree in philosophy and you're like what do you do with a degree in philosophy you go back to school or you go be a teacher like that's what you could do and right. and so I thought well I'll go back to school I've always wanted to be a lawyer you know philosophy kind of feeds into that let's do it and there was also this kind of sense it's kind of cliche and maybe a little bit you know I don't know just cliche to say like I wanted to help people Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because I had this sort of sense of mission and vocation and things like that. So I went to law school um, with that sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, I, I decided, well, I decided to go to the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota because I thought I got accepted to the beach schools out here mm -hmm. in California. And I decided that the Minnesota would be better because, um, well, it was a Catholic law school. So I thought that would be good. But also right. the snow would make me want to study more. <laughs> yeah, yeah so i thought i would just be in the library studying it turns out the library in the snow was just as distracting as the beach so that was fine <laughs> that's actually a really good story i like that i like your your yeah. dedication and you know what it's a it's a it's a it's it's an interesting calling to go from you know priesthood and, and having that and then you know wanting to change but with the still maintaining the same drive which is you know assist people and in a sense you know when you deal with your clients i guess that's how you approach every interaction. Let me ask you a question. You were, went to law school, you went to Minnesota, you still managed to, to, to survive the snow. And then how did you gravitate? W was it in law school that you decided, you know what? I love trust and wills. That was a great class. That was my favorite class. Or is that something that happened uh, later on? Yeah. So my, my grandfather died when I was about 10 years old. Okay. And he and my grandmother had a trust. Okay. okay. So and the trust has just worked out very, very well for my grandmother. 
Um, and, and she has this personal property list where every one of her kids has a color that's assigned and they, they have these dots, right? Oh, so wow. everything in grandma's house is dotted with the color of the kid that it goes to. Um, and so going into law school, there was this sort of creative trust that I knew about, you know, conceptually with my with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And so when when I was in law school and you're picking sort of, all right, what path are you going down? I was just kind of leaned toward that because I don't know firsthand about how easy it was, but I remember as a kid thinking, oh, this is cool that grandma has a trust, that there's, right. that grandpa did something to take care of grandma in, in my in my mind. And so, you know, I took the first trust and estates class I could. I did the, I did, you know, the taxation class. I did all that kind of stuff because it, I was just interested in it for personal family reasons. Mm -hmm. I didn't really think, oh, I'll be an estate planning lawyer. I kind of thought I would be a, a, a prosecutor, like a district attorney. That's kind of where I was wanting to go. Right. But I wanted to take these classes because I was interested in grandma's trust. I wanted to know about it and learn about it. And it was interesting to me. Okay, so from priest to prosecutor, I don't see the connection. <laughs> I see just just a wide gap. From priest to estate planning, I kind of I, I kind of can't make that connection. So uh, thank you for sharing that story with us. Okay, so now I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna conclude with the exercise that I love to do in every one of the episodes. I have a list of thirty questions, and they're all numbered between one and thirty. And I want you to pick a number between one and thirty, and I will ask you that question. All right, number seven. Seven. What sound or noise do you love? What sound? My kid's laughing. Oh, that's a good question. Yes, that's a yeah. good answer. Very good answer. How oh, many yeah. kids do you have? We've, I've got four. I'm like you. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I, I love, we are of the same spirit, a kin spirit. There you Father, go. Yeah. Fathers of fours. That's <laughs> wonderful. Okay, uh, James, uh, I'm going to have the, your contact information in our show notes. Uh, but uh, would you uh, mind sharing with our audience what is the best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, so best way to get a hold of me uh, through email. It's just my first name at atlantislaw.com, james at atlantislaw.com. Um, but if you want to make an appointment or something like that, you can call the office line. Claudia is the one that handles my calendar directly. She's the best one to talk to, believe me. If you called me directly, I would mess it up. <laughs> because I'll put something on my calendar and then she'll remind me that I'm already booked and it, it's just, it's a mess. So I trust Claudia with that. Um, she'll be the one that you would contact the most likely. But if you wanted to ask me a question directly, you could shoot me an email and I'll answer it. It's not a big, big deal. That's probably the best way to reach out to me and ask a question or something. Perfect. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge. And yeah. uh, maybe we will plan to have you back. So I feel like we just scratched the surface. There's so, so much more we can talk about. in this. Yeah, episode. I agree. And thanks for having us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, bye, everybody. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Probate Realtor Show. Find more episodes and interact with us at probaterealtor.la. That's probaterealtor.la. Listen, ask questions, and get results. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The Probate Realtor Matias Baker Mazzucci is a licensed real estate broker in California, DRE number 02054763. Any legal information provided is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. Contact an attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal issue or problem. We make no guarantees as to the accuracy of any information. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.